an unnamed teenage girl is walking home alone near Tokyo, Japan, when she's abducted by a group of teenage boys. She's attempting to fight them off with everything that she has, but she's no match for this group. They savagely rape her before letting her go free, but it wasn't until hours later. She would have no idea, though, just how fortunate she was. This story is not about this unnamed girl, but it's about another victim of the same group of boys, 17-year-old Junko Furuta. She was tortured over the span of 44 days. What she went through was purely unimaginable. The unnamed victim, like Junko, knew her captor, his gang affiliations, and knew that it was best to not contact authorities. This is Those Murder Girls Podcast, and thank you for joining us this Friday. This is Raina. And I'm Marie. And we are your hosts. Junko Ferrata was born on November 22, 1971, in Masato, Japan. She lived at home with her parents and was a high school student, a very good high school student at that. Junko was very pretty and very extremely popular and was known to be different than most teens her age. She had a very strong head on her shoulders. Junko never gave in to peer pressure. She didn't smoke, she didn't do drugs or cut school. She was as responsible as it gets for a 17 year old, which I couldn't say (laughs) for myself at 17. Junko had a part-time job at a plastic molding factory, and she would ride her bike to and from that job. And along that bike route is where this tragic story begins. On November 25th, 1988, while riding her bike home from work, she was nearing an area of a sidewalk with tall shrubs alongside of it. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, she was forcibly pushed from her bike by someone hiding in the shrubs. Frightened, shocked, and in pain, she notices a boy from her school running towards her, and his name was Hiroshi. Now, Hiroshi was known to be kind of like the tough guy at school, but at this moment, he was being very sweet and very attentive towards Junko. He offers her his hand, you know, like a helping hand, helping her up, and offers to walk her the rest of the way home, just in case that maniac that pushed her off her bike, you know, made his way back to her. So as the two are walking and chatting, Junko realizes after a little while that they kind of swayed from the route to her house, and now they're outside this abandoned warehouse. Hiroshi's demeanor instantly changes, and he forcibly pushes Junko towards an entrance into this dark, damp warehouse. He's threatening to kill her if she even resists him. I mean, she must have been so terrified at that moment. Junko had blown off Hiroshi in the past, She was the girl that everybody wanted to date, and he was the guy who always got what he wanted. Everything except for Junko. Hiroshi had asked Junko out on different occasions, and each time Junko had declined, like, nah, I'm good. Hiroshi was a known gang member of the Yakuza. They were a hardcore gang in and around Tokyo that literally everybody feared, and they compared the Yakuza to the Italian Mafia. Hiroshi used his gang as leverage, instilling fear in people like all over in order to get what he wanted. And now Hiroshi has what he wants. Hiroshi has Junko inside of that dark, damp warehouse where he's repeatedly raping her. And then he moves her to his second location, a hotel room where the vicious assaults continue. 
this was his way of getting back at her for all of the rejection. I mean, clearly Hiroshi has some serious issues. I don't even want to talk about it's it. It's disgusting. Even though that's what we're going to do for the next 20 minutes. Yes. <laughs> He's just disgusting. He's a disgusting human. So as if all of this isn't horrific enough, Hiroshi is just unleashing his hate for Junko onto her. Hiroshi wasn't the only sick fuck around town at this time. Apparently, he had a whole crew of friends who were just as worthy of a serious ass beating as him. So he called them up and that group of friends, there were four of them, met him at a park nearby where they all took turns assaulting Junko. They dehumanized her, inflicting unimaginable pain. During the attacks, Junko realizes that one of the boys assaulting her in this group is the boy who pushed her off the bike just a little while before. It clicks. Like, all of a sudden, this fear just sets in. Not only is she devastated that Hiroshi's intentions all along weren't good, but that it was a complete setup. Oh, my gosh. So one of the guys goes through Junko's backpack that she had on her, and what he's looking for, she kind of doesn't know at this point, but he comes across her address that was written on a notebook and doesn't hesitate to use this information against her. Coldly, he looks at her, pointing out the address written in this book and tells her she better not tell a soul about the assaults or try to fight them off, and if she does, he would kill her and her entire family. And guys, from here, it just keeps really getting worse. All she wanted was an escape. And now she'd only not only feared for her life, but now the lives of her family. She's terrified beyond belief. And just when she thought, honestly, things could not get any worse for her, Hiroshi moves her to his next destination, which is his house. On the way to Hiroshi's house, he tells Junko that she is to talk to no one and she is to pretend that she is the girlfriend of one of his friends. So she, you know, being terrified, she agrees. Well, little does Junko know this would be one of her last opportunities to escape. As they make their way inside Hiroshi's house, they pass his parents who don't even ask the group like a single question. So the night goes on and the next day comes around and we cannot even begin to imagine what that first night was like for Junko at Hiroshi's house. So Junko's parents report her missing because she obviously never made it home from work the night before. And it takes like no time at all before Junko's face is all over the news. She herself was watching her face being broadcast on television. I... I don't I can't. even want to talk about it. I can't it. even. This is probably, I mean, I'm not trying to <sighs> like compare stories, but one of the worst stories I've ever heard. So disturbing. Yeah. So as she's watching TV, Hiroshi threatens Junko again, and he tells her that she's going to call home and she's going to tell her parents that she is safe. <sighs> so... She does. She makes that call. She talks to her parents and tells them that she's with a friend and that she's fine. And her parents believe her because she's a good girl. Yeah. Of course. Why would they not? They didn't have any reason not to believe her. So parents, take note. (laughs) Never believe your children are safe unless you can see them for yourself. Call the landline. Do a FaceTime. But, But in all seriousness... 
This phone call Junko was forced to make was the reason why her search was called off. Something triggers Hiroshi after this, maybe because he felt like he was getting away with the the torture and the sexual assaults and the rapes, but as if it couldn't have gotten any worse, what she had endured so far was just the beginning. Junko's body absorbed one of the worst cases of torture that were ever heard. She was not only raped repeatedly, but it was said to have happened hundreds and hundreds of times, you guys. Hundreds. And on one day, it was said to have happened by 12 different men. She was savagely beaten with golf clubs and other blunt force objects. She was starved for days on end. At times, her injuries were so debilitating that she was unable to use the restroom or hardly move. That only triggered Hiroshi to become more pissed off and the beatings and the torment got worse. Junko was hung alive from the ceiling and used as a punching bag. She was moved onto the floor, forced to lay flat while things like dumbbells were dropped onto her. She was forced to eat bugs, and it was said that was mostly cockroaches. And to me, you know what? The cockroaches don't even matter. Like, any bug, any of this is just, and it's just fucking horrific. Horrifying. So Hiroshi and his friends would pin her head down to the floor and stabilize it while another stomped and trampled over her. She was burned with candles and cigarettes, and she was forced to drink her own urine. The torture was just beyond belief. So we're going to stop there and spare you the details. Um, There are tons of articles on Junko if you guys want to go back and honestly just get the full story as far as how far the torture and the mutilation went. Um, Junko didn't deserve a fraction of a tiny percent of what was done to her. These guys... The only thing that they deserve is death. And this was all done, you guys, under the roof of Hiroshi's parents. They were in the house while this was happening to Junko. Which I, I, I mean, can't even believe. Yeah. Doing the research, it's like, what? Like, they were just downstairs? It's like, mm-hmm. it's horrifying. So at one point, a new group of Hiroshi's friends were invited over to torture and rape poor Junko. One of the boys that participated in assaulting Junko went home and he actually told his brother what was going on at Hiroshi's house. And that boy told his parents. So the parents had called the police right away and they ended up paying a visit to Hiroshi's house. But when they arrived, they were met by Hiroshi's parents who told the police, you know, there's no girl in this house. And they actually even invited the cops in to take a look around. So the cops, being really fucking bad at their jobs, took Hiroshi's parents' word for it, you oh guys. Oh, my God. Yeah. They thanked them, you know, thank you for your time. And they just left. They left without any investigation, without taking maybe three minutes of their fucking time out of their lives to do their job and search that house and off of a phone call like that. Like, I mean, that is serious. Like, it's just a joke. I hope that they were fired shortly after. <laughs> we can only hope. So sometime in early December, 
Junko was able to make her way to a phone, and she picked it up and called for help literally as fast as she could. But unfortunately, it wasn't fast enough. Hiroshi had caught her, and things were about to get so much. As if they weren't worse enough, they were about to get even worse for her. The guys began torturing her as a punishment for trying to escape. The pain was so extreme that she passed out from it. Like, you guys, they doused her in lighter fluid and they lit her with a match. The guys, being the fucking disgusting men that they are, I don't even want to call them, oh, they're just disgusting. They said that they believed that Junko was faking her pain. Mm. Yeah. And to teach her a lesson on faking her pain, they raped her and then they set her on fire again. So when they were done having their way with her, the bastards just threw Junko out onto the balcony in the literal freezing cold. They had put her outside to sleep on numerous occasions on this balcony. And you guys, it's Japan in December. The average temperature is near freezing. As if that's not bad enough or any of the other torture that she's endured, they also put her in a freezer at night for hours at a time. I mean, it's pure fucking evil. So by this time, Junko has not been able to breathe out of her nose for weeks because of the beatings. She can no longer walk and she's unable to use the restroom normally because of all the trauma to her body. Just this episode, you guys, is really, really heavy, and it makes us both sad, you know, researching it. It's just – it's a very heavy story, but I think it needs to be told. I think we need a palate cleanser after this. Yes, we do. And we'll definitely have one for you before next Friday's episode. I like that. So while Junko is laying there, she's in pain. She doesn't have any clothes on. She's burned. She's – and literally dying – she is begging the guys to kill her. They actually told the police that she, on multiple occasions, begged them to kill her. And they wouldn't even do that. Like, I'm not saying they should have, but they just fed off of her. I can't imagine Ugh. being at that state where you're like, you know what, just end it. Like, I'm done being tortured by you. Just let me go. Yeah. That that is a whole nother level she can't walk she could barely crawl she could barely fucking breathe on her own she's burned she's beaten and here hiroshi is just flipping out because he's super pissed off that she's no longer attractive to him like how sick can one person be well it's even actually about to get more sick because now that hiroshi and his sick self and group of friends are no longer attractive to junko they actually go out for a walk and they find a new victim to get whatever it is that they're needing from Hiroshi ends up raping a woman who's walking alone, and lucky for her, she gets away. Lucky for her. The guys get back to the house after they're done ruining somebody else's life. They resume the torture on Junko, and a sick gesture that Hiroshi extends to Junko is challenging her to a game called Mahjong Solitaire. And I don't know how to play this game or how it works, but what we do know is that Junko won the game and Hiroshi flies into a rage, begins beating her once again, sets her on fire, 
beats her with iron barbells, you guys. Ugh. This is the last bout of torture that Junko would ever endure. This was her 44th day in captivity. 44 days of being starved, 44 days of being raped, 44 days of being set on fire. On January 4th, 1989, Junko passed away. She had been gone for about 24 hours before any of those fucking assholes even realized. Once they did realize that they had killed her, they wrapped her body in a blanket. They didn't even give her blankets when she was alive. Just shows what sick fucking individuals they are. After wrapping her up in the blanket, they put her inside of a large travel style bag. And in an effort to ensure that she was never found, they put her into a 55-gallon drum and they filled it with cement. And then they disposed of it in the city of Koto. Like, what What the the fuck? You guys, and think back all of this time, Junko's family thinks she's okay. Like, she's fine. She's safe. She's safe. She's with a friend. They have zero idea. Unbelievable. So three weeks goes by and Hiroshi and Joe, one of his four friends that tortured Junko, they were arrested for the rape of a 19-year-old girl. Like, shocker, right? Not really. Exactly. While in the interview room, the cops are trying to determine if these two could have been involved in a local double murder. So cops start questioning them about it and neither Hiroshi or Joe, not knowing if one or the other had admitted to Junko's murder, they actually thought that that's what the cops were talking about. So Hiroshi ends up coming completely clean, and the, the cops are stunned. They had no idea that Junko was in any type of danger. So they're flashing back to the search, the search being called off, the visit to Hiroshi's house. Like, they, they failed her. They failed her. Completely they failed her. So the four are arrested and charged in her murder. Now, because of all of this, Hiroshi's family was forced to sell their house in order to pay this huge restitution to Junko's family. Which, Good. Yeah. They covered up for her son. There is no way. They had no idea. For I, 44 days. Yeah, I don't believe that either. At she all. was beaten. She was burned. Raped. She was thrown outside. In their home. She was raped. There's no way. No. So they all, have of, all given her their lives for exactly. Her. All of the boys were found guilty, and they. This is the most. I don't know. To me, it's disturbing. They received slaps on the wrist, to which they all appealed. And I, w- I kind of want to meet the judge because at every appeal, the judge just bumped all their sentences like up, up just by a couple years. All of them, without the exception of Hiroshi, they ended up serving between five to nine years Hiroshi got 20 years but five to nine years those appeal rebuttals by the judge were like the only good thing to come out of the story because he was not letting them control the situation anymore like Joe's mom one of the guys one of the four guys blames Junko Murray for ruining her son's life can we all just stop I just can't. If you're on the freeway right now, stop. Pull and over. Just think, think about, about that for a second. It's How does that make any sense? It's horrifying. And Joe's mom, get this, admittingly, she vandalized Jungo's gravesite. And literally on more than one occasion. How freaking sick can you be? 
how far will you go for your kid? <laughs> I wouldn't go. Definitely wouldn't go that far. It's <laughs> not at all. So disturbing. So get this. Since all of the boys were underage, their names were not released to the public, but there was a local journalist who somehow got a hold of their names and blasted them all over. I am all for that. They don't have any reason to be protected. These kids were literal monsters. And their parents tried to protect these monsters. Mm -hmm. So Joe, when he gets out of prison, he was arrested again for attempting to kidnap someone and threatening to kill them because he thought that they were messing around with his wife. Okay. You know what? It's, It's too much. It's too much. They're just going to do this like for the rest of their fucking lives. And I'm pretty sure they're all still alive today. Yeah. Well, this wasn't actually that long ago. So, yeah. So there's some more details that we had left out just for the sake of it. It's like a lot to stomach. But like Raina said, if you guys want to go do some more research, you can find out more details. We will have all of our sources linked in our episode notes on our website, thosemurdergirlspodcast.com. And all the details are in those articles. Just reader beware. So we appreciate you guys joining us today. If you like this episode, please head over to wherever you are listening now. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And we hope you all have a safe weekend. And don't forget, you guys, we will definitely be releasing a palate cleanser that follows this episode in the next few days. So we will see you for that. And then we'll see you on Friday for our full-length episode. And until then, bye, bye guys. guys.